Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I wanna thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just wanna ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen, and we pray that you are blessed. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 14, is our our main text, Exodus chapter 14. I'm going to read from verses 5 to 14 from the New Living Translation. Uh, I'm really excited about this word today, and I'm also a little nervous about the word today. I've been preaching long enough that I don't get nervous about sermons too often, but every now and again... There's a word that, that, that hits me, it hits my soul, and I'm, I get a little nervous about the delivery. Uh, I just want to make sure that it comes across clearly, so I solicit your prayers. Uh, Exodus chapter 14, verses 5 through 14. Verse 5 says, when we reached the king of Egypt, when word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So he chased after the people of Israel who had left with fist raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces of Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they camped beside the shore near uh, Pehorath, across from Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, verse 10, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the people of Israel, looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Say, don't be afraid. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never, will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. So just stay calm. Turn to your neighbor and say, stay calm. Relax. Chill, chill, chill. Father, we thank you again. Open our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So for the last two or three weeks, we've been talking about believing and believing in God and what it means to believe in God. And the, the, the theme of the last three weeks have been, I believe. And the idea behind this is that core in our spiritual walk and foundational to our growth in Christ is a firm belief 
that Jesus exists and that he is alive. In fact, two weeks ago, no, last week, we talked from Hebrews chapter 11, and we talked about how there were really two levels of belief. You all remember that? If you didn't catch it, I want to encourage you to go on to YouTube and watch that message online. Uh, we talked about there are two levels of belief. Level one was believing in the existence of God. Say existence. Level two was believing in the activity of God. Say activity. And that a lot of us, we're here, we're watching online, we engage in Christian behavior and Christian disciplines because on some level we believe in the existence of God, but we, to a large degree, wrestle with the activity of God. We feel as though God might not be in our life, God might not be active in our life, God not, might not be caring about our life, God might not be concerned about our life. And so while we believe he exists, we're not quite sure about this activity of God because we don't necessarily see the manifestation of God's power in our life. That's what we dealt with two weeks ago. Uh, three weeks ago, a week and a half before that, we dealt with post-traumatic unbelief disorder. And we talked about how the children of Israel were delivered from Egyptian bondage and God carried them across the Red Sea and he walked them through the wilderness. And it really required, it really required no effort on their part, but, but in order for God to take them into their destiny, in order for God to allow them to cross over the Jordan and get into the promised land, that they had to actually engage their faith. They had to engage their belief. And so we talked about three weeks ago that, you know, deliverance comes when we just surrender to God, but destiny comes when we are willing to fight for what we believe in. That if you want a happy marriage, you have to fight for it. Do I got a witness in the house online? Put it in the chat. If you want healthy finances, you got to fight for it. If you want kids that, that are honorable and respectful and are growing into their potential, you have to fight for it. Don't leave it up to the public school district. Do not leave it up to... I mean, we got some great educators, even at Orangewood. Don't just leave it up to Orangewood. Come on now, I know the principal's saying amen. He's saying, partner with me. Don't just leave it up to me, partner with me. That we have to fight for our children, right? We have to fight. If you want to be in good health, low cholesterol, low blood pressure, you know, you just can't eat whatever you want. I'm preaching to myself right now. Seth, you have to fight for it. Some of y'all see me on my Instagram fighting for it. You got to fight for it. So that's what we've been dealing with. And today I wanted to continue this conversation about our belief. I, th I think sometimes we can forget that God wants what's best for us. You remember that? You believe that? I think sometimes we can forget that God wants what's best for us. Sometimes we can feel as though... God is trying to leave us out, hang us out to dry, that God is trying to take us on a, for the okie doke, that he really doesn't want what's best for us, that he wants us to live lives of poverty and lowliness and insignificance, and that God really isn't trying to lead us into green pastures. Sometimes, if we're careful, if we're not careful, we will, we will, we will confuse what the activity and the purpose of God for our life is. And we can sometimes feel it's not just me against the world, but it's me against God, if we're not careful. And yet I want, us to, I want to remind you today that in, that in everything that God is trying to do in our church, in our community, in your life, it is for our best interest, amen. 
that he is concerned not just about our salvation, Trish, which is, which is we hope sooner than later when he comes and he bursts through the clouds of glory, but that God is also concerned, JB, about our here and now. He's concerned about our material possessions. He's concerned about our relationships. He's concerned about our professional career advancement and development. He's concerned about where we live and what we drive. He's concerned about how we think and what we eat. He's concerned and he wants us to thrive in all areas and in multiple domains. And sometimes if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can forget that. And so what we find ourselves doing is we have an awareness of God and we have an awareness of his activity, but we are blazing our own trail. And if we're not careful, what will inevitably happen, Nicholas, is in the passionate pursuit of trying to live our best life, we will find ourselves no longer following Christ. Because when it's all said and done, or let me say it like this, when it's all said and done, The only thing that matters is, are you following Christ? Are you following Christ in your finances? Are you following Christ in your relationships? Are you following Christ in how you order and orient your family? I mean, I know that we want our kids to to, to have the great access to sports and and, and best schools, and we want our kids to grow and to have, have all the potential to become the next Simone Biles, but we also want to make sure that we are setting them up to follow Christ not to suggest that the two cannot go together. In fact, Revelation chapter 14 gives us a glimpse of what the individuals will look like at the end of time. In Revelation chapter 14, it, said, it talks about John the Revelator. He sees, he sees the new Jerusalem. He sees the kingdom. He sees the father. He sees all these things. He sees the righteous, James. He sees them, the 144,000, those who have, who have overcome, those who are undefiled by, by women, who are virgins, who are, who are undefiled by this world. And in Revelation chapter 14, in verse 4, he says something very interesting. He says, here are those who are undefiled by virgins. They have kept themselves. They are pure. They remain chaste. And then he says, they follow the lamb. They follow the lamb wherever the lamb goes. To follow Christ. What does it mean for you to follow Christ? What does it really mean for you to, 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 to be fully immersed in a walk with God? So, you know, we used to play this game. I haven't seen my daughters play it. I don't know if it's still a, still a thing or maybe they're just too young, but we used to play a game growing up called Follow the Leader. Anybody remember that game? Yeah, yeah, some of y'all played it. Um, follow the leader. And, you know, the idea was that, you know, we would all get in line and we would have to follow wherever the leader was leading us. And, and sometimes the leader would try to throw us off. So they would do a little jerk move. Y'all remember that? They'd do a little, little real quick, like they would cross over, you know, to try to throw us off. Or they would go faster. They would go slower. All in attempt, maybe they would jump over a chair or climb under a chair. All in attempt to throw off their followers. But, but what's interesting with that game is that the closer you are to the leader, the the easier it is to follow that leader. The closer you are to the leader, the easier it is to follow the leader. Now, unlike the leaders that you may have followed when you were a kid playing that game, Jesus is not ultimately trying to throw us off. 
He's not trying to make the path hard or the road difficult. He's actually trying to lead us in st- by still waters and to lead us in green pastures. And though sometimes we might find ourselves walking through some valleys and it looks like death's all around us, we have the confidence to know that if we continue to follow him, he's still with us. His rod and his staff, they will They'll comfort us. He'll even, he'll even lead us to, to places where, where we may be surrounded by our enemies, but it's okay because he's preparing those places and he's preparing those tables. And, and amidst of it all, if we follow the leader, what we will quickly realize is what David realized in Psalms 23 is that as you follow God, God's goodness and mercy will follow you. And so it's all about following God. And the devil knows that if he can get us to not trust in the activity of God, to not believe fully in the person of God, that he can somehow move us to a point where we are wrestling and struggling with truly following him. We'll follow him to church on Saturday, maybe a couple times a month, but we're not following him in every other area of our life. We're not following him when it comes to our finances and into our health, into our relationships. But we have to follow the leader, if you're with me, let me say amen. amen. And yet following is, is hard. And just to be perfectly frank with you, fully transparent, following God can be hard. Do I have a witness? Following God can be hard. I think some of it has to do with not fully understanding him not fully trusting him, having felt let down in the past that we're not quite sure we can fully go all the way with him now in the present. Uh, that sometimes when we see what he's trying to do in our life, we're not quite sure if it is in fact the best move for us. And so we start to kind of r- wrestle with, well, maybe, maybe God is mistaken or, or maybe the voice I think I hear is not actually God, but it's my own voice projected as God, so maybe I shouldn't be following. Has anyone ever had that conversation with themselves before when you're trying to follow the leader, the capital L leader? Some of us are, are, are better at following God than others. I've, I've struggled all my life following God. Um, and even though I'm a pastor, there are still times when I wrestle with following God because following God is not just about keeping the Ten Commandments. Let's be very clear. I mean, that's one level. That's like elementary level. But when you graduate from that, it's more about, are you fully surrendered every single of your day to the will of God for your life? So when God calls you to talk to that person or to help that person or to minister to that person or to open your doors to that person, are you willing to go the extra mile and be generous and live from a place of humility and, 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 and cast out pride and arrogance and truly embrace a spirit of reconciliation and forgiveness? That's really what following God is all about. I struggle with following, though, uh, and not just God, but I think I struggle with following um, in general. I mean, my wife can tell you I'm not a very good follower. There have been several times when she has tried to give me directions. Uh, in the kitchen, specifically, she'll try to give me directions. She'll say, can you come help with dinner? And, and I'll say, sure. So I'll get into the kitchen. And when she, when she says, come help with dinner, Ms. Sheila, she actually means, can you follow my directions in cooking dinner? But when I hear her say, come help with dinner, I hear, can you actually do it by yourself and, and not listen to anything I have to say to you, <laughs> right? And so I'll get into the kitchen and I'll start doing my thing and she'll say, well, actually, I want you to do it this way or you should do this. And I immediately say, listen, 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 I got this. 
I got this. And, there's a, and, 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 and not because I actually have it, right? A lot of times she actually has it and I should be, I can't believe I'm admitting this. I should, I should be listening and following her direction in the kitchen. But there's a part of me that somehow at some point feels, JB, that, that maybe I can actually navigate the kitchen a little bit better than she can. And so let me just do my own thing in this moment, right? Just a little bit. And then I wake up. Following direction is largely correlated with how much we trust the person who's giving direction. You see, if Gordon Ramsay was in the kitchen, I probably wouldn't have any problems following Gordon Ramsay. In fact, Gordon Ramsay would have me making scrambled eggs out of a saucepan. Have you all ever made scrambled eggs out of a saucepan? No, you don't make scrambled eggs out of a saucepan. But Gordon Ramsay does, BJ. He, he, he makes them out of, and YouTube it, he makes them out of a saucepan. I wish I could demonstrate. He, you know, like a saucepan that you put sauce in, that you put your egg in it and you whip, you stir your scrambled egg like it's sauce. And I've tried it before. Why? Now, my wife would have told me to do that. I'd be like, you're crazy. You don't make scrambled eggs out of a saucepan. But because Gordon Ramsay said it, I found myself making scrambled eggs, Brother Dawson, out of a saucepan. Because your ability to follow someone or direction is directly correlated to how much you trust that person. How much you believe that they actually know what they're talking about. And if you don't believe they know what they're talking about, you will be reticent to truly follow them. I think we see this in this particular passage What I'm going to deal with today in this passage is that what I've come to realize in this passage is that when you follow God, that you will fundamentally experience two things. Today, we're going to deal with the one, and then in a few weeks, we're going to deal with the other. When you follow God, you will fundamentally experience two things. On one hand, you will experience problems, say problems. On the other hand, you will experience obstacles. Say obstacles. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. When you follow God, you will experience two things. You will experience problems and you will experience obstacles. Now problems, Jane, problems are those things that, that arise from your past that are trying to prevent you from following the promise. Obstacles are those things from your future or those things in front of you that are trying to distract you from the promise. Okay, so let me, let me, let, let me, let me, let me break it down. Let me break it down. Let me break it down. Um, so, so, so when God comes in and God's trying to lead you, God's trying to lead us, God's trying to lead your family, God's trying to lead our church, that God always leads from a place of two positions. He always has a promise. And then that promise is always about something he wants to do, something he wants you to possess, something he's trying to fulfill in your life. So there is promise and there is possession. And when it comes to your walk with God, God is saying, listen, I want you to follow me through the promise so that you can experience the possession, right? I want you to follow me through the promise so you can experience the possession. But for many of us, we hear the promise and we might get started in the promise, but because we don't fully trust that God knows what he's doing in between the promise and the possession, we will find ourselves being disrailed because in between the promise and possessions, you will experience problems and obstacles. 
Okay, so you're not feeling this. Let me, let me try to just make this thing super clear for you. So when you think about our text in Exodus, in chapter 14, context, the children of Israel have been in Egyptian bondage for 400 years, and they have been slaved, and I'm talking about slave, 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 like, I mean, being whipped and beaten and wives taken from them for 400 years, plus 400 years. They've been in this Egyptian bondage where they have not been able to do their own work. They have not been able to uh, go their own way. They've been captive to Egyptian bondage. And, and for 400 years, they've been crying out to God. But for almost nearly 400 years, God has not been answering their prayers. Generation after generation has died in Egyptian bondage to the point where the, where the Israelites had gotten so hard and so coarse and so rebellious that they started worshiping Egyptian gods. They felt like they were forsaken by God, that, they were, that God had nothing to do with anymore. And so, and so they essentially lost the, 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 their understanding of who God was. And so God then decides that now that the, the fullness of time has come, let me go and, and set my people free. And so he calls Moses, the mighty mountain man, to go and to deliver the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage. And so when Moses comes, he be, does the 10 plagues. We know that story. He begins to bring them out of, this, of this, uh, 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 this Egyptian bondage. And as he's walking them out, the Egyptians let them go. But as he's walking them out, the Egyptians finally come to their senses. And they say, hold on, what in the world are we doing? Why would we let these Israelites who have, to a large degree, built all of Egypt and all of the pyramids and all of our nation has been built at, on the backs of these slaves, why would we let them go? And so Pharaoh marshals up his fastest chariots and he begins to pursue the Israelites. And that's where we pick up in verse 9. In the verse 9 of, of Exodus chapter 14 says, the Egyptians chase after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses, chariots, his chariots, his troops, the Egyptians, caught up with the people as they were camped outside of Phiphora across from Baal Zephon. And as the Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up in panic when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. This is my first point that I want you to get. Anytime you attempt to follow God with all of your heart, your past will rise up and present problems. Anytime, I've experienced it, anytime that you fully try to follow God with all of your heart, you truly want to give him all of you. You want to say, God, I want to be surrendered and totally committed to you. I want to go with you all of the way. Anytime you make your mind to say, you know what, I am all in. It is inevitable. Your past will rise up and it will present problems. And that's exactly what was happening in this text. Now for them, their past was Egyptian bondage and Pharaoh was determined not to let them go. But for you, your past might not be Egyptian bondage and Pharaoh, but your past might be something else. It might be a relationship that went sour and now it is causing you pain and anxiety and frustration. It might be some financial choices that you've made in the past that are now coming back to bite you and to haunt you. It may be family issues and, or health issues or drama from your past that you're saying, you know what, I want a clean slate, but it's hard to start fresh when you've planted so many seeds of confusion and drama in your past. That now the seeds are rising up and they're trying to bear fruit and the devil fundamentally does not want to let you go. He wants you. He wants to hold on to you because you were on his side, committed to him, dedicated to him. You were doing his work. And just like Pharaoh, he does not want to let 
his prized possession go. And so he walks you down and he hunts you down and he comes after you. And as he's coming after you, the problems that are arising in your life, as I'm realizing from my own life and from talking to so many of you all in person and online, the problems that so many of us experience, it's not just literal problems, but a lot of it is mental problems. I'm not talking about mental health problems. I'm talking about problems that arise in your mind and that they are problems because of how you think about them. Mental problems. You see, the text says in verse 10 that as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked. That the panic didn't didn't begin until they actually looked at Pharaoh and saw Pharaoh coming. And when they saw that Pharaoh was coming, it's like in that moment they had forgotten that literally there was a cloud by, by a cloud of fire, a pillar of fire that was right beside them. And there was a cloud of a pillar of cloud that was right beside them and that Moses was leading them. It, it was almost as if, Rachel, they had lost sight or they had forgotten the fact that Christ just delivered them through 10 plagues out of Egyptian bondage. Every, all of the activity of God had been in that moment minimized and dismissed. And all they could see was that right now in this moment, it appears that our past is coming to haunt us. And so what did they do? They did the unthinkable. Verse 10 says, they cried out to the Lord. Verse 11, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Why have you, well, were there not enough graves in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you have, uh, make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? Leave us alone, we said. Can you believe it? They had been in bondage for 400 years. For 400 years, they had been praying for deliverance. For 400 years, they had been crying out against their oppressor. God finally sends Moses to deliver them. God is in the process of delivering them. And while he's delivering them, they rise up and say, God, leave us alone. I can't. As I read it, I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. I've read it before, but for some reason this week, it just hit me in a different way. That here God is in the middle of moving them from promise to possession and they're encountering a few problems along the way and the problems in their mind are so significant that they're saying, we would rather go back to mediocrity. We would rather go back to our typical life. We would rather go back to slavery and bondage than to go forward with God. I don't think you and I would ever say those words, but I think you and I are guilty of living those words. Where we would never say, God, leave us alone, but the way that we live, we're saying, God, leave us alone. We would never say, God, it would have been better for me to die in, uh, back in my old lifestyle. We would never say that, but we're living our life just with a very mediocre, typical lifestyle, not expecting God to do the supernatural, not expecting God to move miraculously on our behalf. We, when we wake up in the morning, we, we, we minimize the amount of time we spend with him, if any, because we have zero expectation that God's going to move on our behalf. And we might as well be saying, God... Leave me alone. Yeah, I want you to take care of my daily bread. Yeah, make sure that you keep uh, uh, food in my, t- in, my, in my cupboards and gas in my tank. But beyond that, leave me alone. And I feel like when the people of God get there, 
No, let me say it like this. I believe that the state of our churches, plural, and the state of our families and marriages and our children and our community is because we have largely gotten to that point where we are saying, God, just leave us alone. Let us, let us follow you in name only, but not in heart, not in spirit, not fully close up to you, personal experience and encounter with you. God, just leave us alone. And so this is what they did. They, their problems were coming after them. And as their problems were coming after them, they saw what they felt was inevitable, that they were going to die in the wilderness. And they said, Moses, couldn't you just have left us to die in, the, in the Egypt? Why did you bring us out here? And, it, it, and I just wonder what would have happened if, if in that moment, Paul, the apostle from the New Testament, was present in that moment. I, I, I feel like Paul in that moment would have rose up and he would have said, listen, listen, guys, I just want to let you know. Uh, uh, he, would have, he would have actually said something to them like he said in 2 Corinthians. Let me read it for you. In 2 Corinthians, he says, in verse 8, he says, guys, we are, we are hard pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. He says, we are perplexed but we are not in despair. I can almost imagine that if Paul was there present, Jeremiah, in the Old Testament, standing next to Moses, he would say, guys, like, I, I know we're pressed, but guess what? We are not going to be crushed. I know there's problems and there's issues and there's challenges, and it might look like following God and, and, and walking with him through the promise is hard, but I promise you, you will not be destroyed. He says, you might be confused, like, okay, how are we going to get through this obstacle called the Red Sea and escape this problem called Pharaoh's army? And you might be perplexed, but do not be in despair. He goes on to say in verse, in verse 9, he says, we might be persecuted, but we are not forsaken. You might have some problems, but you are not forsaken. Hell might be breaking loose in your family, in your house, and in your, in your marriage, and in your life. And there may be some troubles and challenges that you're experiencing, but you are not forsaken. You are not alone. And I mean, I can't imagine just what was going through their mind to the point where they, they took the problem of Pharaoh coming and they, and they, and they, magnified it, and they minimized the very fact that they were surrounded by the presence of God. Paul says, you're persecuted, but not forsaken. You are struck down, but you are not destroyed. If you are here in the building, if you are online, I just want to let you know, that you are, you are persecuted and you might have some problems, but you are not alone. Can you just touch the person next to you and just try to encourage them and just tell them you're not alone? I want to let you know you're not alone. Like really, in, in your heart of hearts, I want you to know you are not alone. That's what a good problem will do. That's what a good problem will do. It'll make you feel all alone. Jerry, babe, if you can give me the towel, thank you. It'll make you, feel, it'll make you feel all alone. It'll make you feel like you don't have support. It'll make you feel like you don't have 
friends. It'll make you feel like you don't have community. A good problem will leave you out there all by yourself. That is the nature of problems. It'll make you feel like you have to figure this thing out on your own, that you don't know who to turn to, that you don't have anyone to turn to. It's almost like it's built into the DNA of problems to leave us feeling that way. But I want you just to maintain a... A, 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 a heavenly perspective to know that, okay, even though I might be going through my personal problem right now, my personal problem does not mean that I am alone. I am not forsaken. That God is with me right now in the midst of whatever my trouble, whatever my difficulty, whatever my frustration, whatever my headache, whatever my anxiety, whatever thorn that I'm dealing with in my flesh, God is with me in this moment right now. And I will continue to follow the leader. See, he says, he says, you're persecuted, but you're not destroyed. Excuse me. You're persecuted, but you're not destroyed. You're not struck down. You're not forsaken. This is what I want you to get. That your problem Whatever you're going through in that gap, it really will only be a problem when you forget the promise. Well, that's right. It's good. The problem is only a problem when you forget the promise. Okay, okay, okay. It's a slow day. It's raining outside. It's okay. Okay. Uh, Rewind, rewind to Genesis in chapter, Genesis in chapter 15. Thank you. Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Something happens in Genesis chapter 15. That's why you got to read the whole story. In Genesis chapter 15, God is having a conversation with Abram, Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 15, God is establishing a relationship, a covenant with Abraham. And, and, and I don't want, want to show you what, what God says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. Look what he says. He says, then the Lord said to Abraham, as he's making this covenant with him, he says, you can be sure that your descendants will be what? You can be sure that your descendants will be what? Strangers in a where? In a foreign land where they will be what? Oppressed as what? For how long? So, 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 so if you rewind to Genesis in chapter 15, this is at least 400 years before it ever happened and much longer than that, probably six or 700 years before it ever happened. God is having a conversation with Abraham. And in God's conversation with Abraham, God is saying, hey, Abraham, I want to let you know that I'm going to form a covenant with you. And that as I form this covenant with you, your descendants will be as the stars of the sky. Hey, Abraham, I want to let you know I'm going to form a relationship with you. And at core to this relationship, your descendants will be as the sand of the sea. Hey, Abraham, I want to form a relationship with you. I want you to know that you are going to become the father of faith and everyone will model their life based off of the faith that you're demonstrating in your walk with me. But Abraham, I also have to let you know that your descendants, those that will 
will be as the sand of the sea and the scars of the sky of the sky. Some of those descendants will actually be enslaved and in bondage and oppressed for 400 years in a foreign land. What God is doing in Genesis in chapter 15 is he's communicating to Abraham that, hey, Abraham, I have a promise for you, but I just want to let you know if you fast forward a little bit uh, uh, around the time that I'm really beginning to execute this promise, you're going to experience some problems. He says, you're going to go through some stuff. Your people, your children, your descendants are going to go through some stuff. But look what he says in Genesis in chapter 15 and verse 14. He says, but I will, but I will, but I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. Okay, I thought this was good when I read it this week. I was like, wow. I said, hold on. So here you have the children of Israel who are saying to Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Why don't you just let us die in Egypt? Why are you bringing us into the wilderness? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? And in that moment, they are literally throwing in the towel on the promise of God because of the problems that they are experiencing. But in my mind, I, I couldn't help but ask myself, did they, were, were they never told of the promise from Genesis in chapter 15? Because in Genesis in chapter 15, God told them everything that was going to happen. He said, you're going to be slaves for 400 years, your descendants. But that's not the end of the story. I'm going to bring you out of that. And when I bring you out of that, you will come out with great possessions. Every problem you experience in life has been pre-selected and pre-ordained by God. Big statement, I know. What are you talking about, Pastor? You're talking about my divorce was pre-selected and pre-ordained by God? If you are going through it, God saw it. And if God saw it, God allowed it. And if God allowed it, there is purpose in it. Got heavy. If you are going through it, God saw it. If God saw it, God allowed it. And if God allowed it, there is purpose in it. Doesn't mean God wanted it, but it means God allowed it. Because God is the type of God where he says, ain't nothing too hard for me. I can take the worst situation you find yourself in and I can weave that thing around for your good and for my glory, so that when it's done, you will stand back and you will say, look at what God has done. I was persecuted, but I was not forsaken. I was, I was perplexed, but I was not in despair. I was struck down, but I was not destroyed. 
And so here the children of Israel are standing on the banks of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's coming behind them and they're saying to themselves, Moses, why did you bring us here to die? Not realizing that, no, 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 no. God didn't bring you here to die. God brought you here to display his glory and to display his power and to display his majesty. And Moses is like, y'all, chill. Just stand still and watch God's salvation work in your life. But they could not fathom it. They had forgotten the promise. And I feel, I talked about this at staff with our our staff this last week. I feel that many of us live our lives every single day without a promise. Oh, yeah, we know salvation. Yeah, 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 yeah. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again. If I come again, I'll receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Okay, yeah, great. But what about today? What is God's promise for you today? I I have no, no doubt in my mind that when Christ comes again, if I were to die today or he comes tomorrow, that I am going to see Jesus in in, in peace because that's his promise. But, 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 but I think many of us feel like, okay, yeah, he did something great on Calvary and he's going to do something great in the future. But as of right now, it's just me and me and the world. And we got to figure this thing out. But no, God has a promise for you today. He has a promise for your marriage today. He has a promise for your finances today. He has a promise for your mental health and your peace today. He has a promise for your physical life and your physical health today. He has a promise for your career and your profession and your school today. We serve a God of promises. But we've forgotten the promise. And so we stumble from one problem to the next and from one problem to the next, always feeling though it's me against God and somehow God has forgotten me and somehow God doesn't love me. And God's like, no, you've just forgotten what I told you. You've forgotten the promise. I say to myself, Abraham, didn't you tell him? Didn't you tell him this would happen? And Abraham spoke back to me, he said, Seth, listen, I died. They weren't born until years after I was dead. I told Isaac. I don't know what Isaac did with it. So I spoke to Isaac. I said, Isaac, did you tell him? Did you not pass the promise down? And Isaac's like, listen, I had a lot going on. I told Jacob. I don't know what he did with it. Jacob, didn't you tell him? Did you tell him the promise that God had told them that they were going to go into bondage for 400 years, but that it was going to be the end of the story? He was actually going to bring them out with many possessions and taking them to a promised land. And Jacob's like, listen, listen, you know, I had multiple wives. I just had a lot going on, right? I had these sons. They were always bickering. I don't know what happened. I, I thought I mentioned it to Joseph when I gave him that coat, but I don't know what happened. Joseph, didn't you tell him? Did you tell him that, that yeah, they were going to struggle and have some problems and difficulties, but it wasn't the end of the story? And Joseph was like, I told him. I did tell him. And I wrote it down and I passed it on. And I passed it on so much that I know Moses got the message. And so I come to Moses. I'm like, Moses, didn't you tell him? Didn't you tell him that there was gonna be some problems but that God would deliver? And Moses said to me, I'm not lying to y'all. Moses said to me, I told him, Seth. But them jokers just didn't want to listen. Okay, y'all not, y'all not feeling me. So let me just show you. Exodus chapter 6, Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, the text says, the text says, therefore, say to the people of Israel, 
I'm the Lord, I will free you. I will what? I will free you from your oppressors. I will do what else? Rescue you from slavery in Egypt. I will do what else? Redeem you with a powerful arm and a great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own children. Oh, this is getting good. I will be your God. Then you will know that I'm the Lord your God who has freed you from the oppression of Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your own possessions. I am the Lord. Moses is like Seth. I told them that. I told them that. And look at Verse 9. So Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said, but they refused to listen. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. Because like, I told them this would happen, but the pain of their past was so great that they could not, they could not materialize, they could not fathom, they could not conceptualize the promise of the future. And so while they are on the banks of this Jordan, and, 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 or the Red Sea rather, and, and Pharaoh's on behind them, while they're on the banks of it, and all along the way, they are complaining and grumbling because the pain of the past was too great for them to believe the promise of God. And I know that there are some right now in this moment, both in this building and online, who are sitting in the exact same seat of the children of Israel. And you are saying to yourself, I hear what he's saying, but I can't hear what he's saying. Because the pain that I'm going through right now is so great, I can't even picture what the promise of God looks like. And that is a tough place to be. I don't, I don't, I don't fault the children of Israel, as I used to after reading this passage, because I recognized that they, they, had, they had some, some, some childhood trauma <laughs> that was passed down for 400 years of childhood trauma that was passed down from their parents and from their grandparents. Trauma, and not just childhood trauma, but they had religious trauma where I can imagine that their grandparents said, oh, the Lord is going to deliver, the Lord is going to deliver. And then from one generation after the next, they saw their sons and their daughters being carried away by Egyptians and being raped and being beaten and being persecuted and being, and being, and being, and being whipped and, and, and being drowned in mud pits as they were commanded to build bricks pyramids. I, I can imagine that, that the pain of their past was so ingrained in their psyche that they had the hardest time believing God. So what do you do when what you've been through is so painful, you can't, you can't escape it. You can't, you can't brush it off. You can't, you can't out run it or outgrow it, but it's, it's, it's like a leech that is still on you. Every day you wake up with the weight of your pain and your past on your chest that is hard for you to even lift your hands and worship God. It's hard for you to believe in the presence and the power of God. What do you do in those situations? When you're trying to follow God, 
but the problems are just too great. And the weight is too heavy. A few things I've wrestled with this week as I've been thinking about this text. I've been there. Many of you all have been there. When you find yourself under the weight of your past, I don't want you to feel you have to bear that weight alone. You might feel you have to bear that weight alone. But God doesn't want you to feel you have to bear that weight alone. God is saying to us the same thing he said to Moses, to to the children of Israel. He's like, listen, I'm sending you a redeemer. In in Moses' time, it came in the person of, of, of Moses. He was the one, the Aaron and Moses, they were the ones who were to come. And they were intended to lift the spirits and to give them a picture of what could be. Moses was responsible for, for saddling the burden of their past and carrying the Egyptians, the Israelites, excuse me, carrying the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage. Moses was that person through him and his leaders, his elders, who were going to carry them into the promised land. But even for that, it was tough. But God hasn't given us Moses in this day. God has given us two other things that I think are, in my opinion, a little bit better than Moses that he has given us. Number one, he has given us his spirit of truth. Do not minimize the role that the Holy Spirit plays in helping you carry the burdens of your past. In fact, when Jesus was here, he's like, listen, I'm leaving a helper. I'm leaving an aide. I'm leaving a, I'm leaving a, a guide. I'm leaving a supporter. I'm leaving someone who his sole purpose is to come and to carry you on wings like eagles. So that it's not you who's having to actually carry the burdens of your past, but it is the Holy Spirit who will undergird you. And even when in your darkest nights, when you are crying your eyes out and it feels as though you cannot go on, you will find yourself just being lifted by an unseen hand that will carry you to places of peace that you never imagined you would ever find. Because you fell in the face of God and said, God, I cannot carry these burdens alone. The other thing God gives us, close second to the Holy Spirit, is he gives us community. He gives us one another so that when you're going through, you don't have to, like they say in the mental health world, do not suffer in silence. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, do not suffer in silence. Do not suffer in silence. But, but we are here, church, his family here to help you carry the weight of your pain. So when you feel like you can't press on and you can't go on, rather than throwing in the towel and God saying, God, listen, I just, I'm just going to allow myself to be overwhelmed and overcome and to be drowned in the pain of my past and in the weight of my past. No, throw a lifeline to your family your spiritual family, who on the prayer line, we will intercede for you and call on God on your behalf so that you can experience the, 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 the girding of the spirit come from underneath you and just lift you and carry you to places that you knew in your own mind and effort and strength you could not reach. It is because somebody was praying for you. 
It reminds me of a story, Pastor Jim Simbala Simba, from the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in Brooklyn, New York, tells a story of how his daughter was so far from God, strung out on drugs, hadn't seen her in, in months, if not years. Her mind was blown. And one day as he was leading this small congregation at the time, Brooklyn Tabernacle Church, he just felt overwhelmed in a prayer meeting to stop and just ask the church to pray for his daughter. And he says they gathered around in a circle. I don't know how many people were in the room, but he says, he says all of a sudden the room just exploded and it sounded like a labor room, like a woman was giving birth as men and women were just crying out on behalf of his daughter. That the devil would release her and take his grips and his claws and his clutches off of his daughter, that she would not go another day without experiencing the peace of God. It was as if he says in his testimony that heaven came down and just filled that entire church as people cried out. The next day, or maybe a couple days later, if I recall correctly, he hears a knock at his door. His wife goes down and opens the door. And when she opens the door, it's their daughter who on her knees saying, daddy, who prayed for me? On Tuesday night this week, someone prayed for me. I was in a dream and I saw myself walking towards a a cliff and the cliff was just an abyss. And I just heard the voice of God telling me, don't take another step. And he came and he carried me over the, the abyss. Daddy, who prayed for me? And in that moment, her mind was made right and she was delivered from her bondage and her chains. She surrendered her heart to God and she serves in ministry now. And I tell that story to say that when you feel as though the weight of what you're going through and the problems that you're facing are so great, you don't have to bear them alone. But we are a church who will pray for you. So here... The children of Israel, (laughs) they couldn't see the promise because of their pain. And so they cried out to Moses, just let us die already. And Moses said, verse 13, don't be afraid. Stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Just stay calm. Justin, you can play for me. I I want somebody in the house to know that the same word that came to Moses is the same word that God wants to send to you. That as you are feeling the enemy walking you down and the problems from your past are haunting you and you feel like it's too much, I want you to know not to be afraid. Stand still and watch the Lord rescue you. And that the Lord, I love how he says it, the Lord himself. He's not going to send a representative. He's not going to send somebody else. Yeah, he's not sending an emissary. No, no, no. He's not sending, he's not sending an aide or an angel. He says the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. If you keep reading the text, 
Moses tells them to stand still and stay calm. But the very next text in verse 15, uh, in verse 15 of, of Exodus, of Exodus 14, look, look, what, look what God says. The Lord said to Moses in verse 15, Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. He's like, listen, I haven't brought you this far just to stand here. Go forward. Keep walking. Keep, keep moving towards the promise. And if you keep reading, if you keep reading in this passage, if you keep reading this passage, verse 15, go forward. Now, lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, divide it. The children of Israel shall go across on the dry ground and I shall indeed will harden the hearts of Pharaoh. Verse 18, then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh. Verse 19, and the angel of God who went before the camp moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp and the Egyptians. If you keep reading, you realize that, that God parts the sea. They walk across on dry, land, on, on dry land. All the while, God is now in the same position that their problems previously were. <laughs> you missed it. That, that, that God says, listen, stop complaining. Why are you crying out to me? Just walk, just move. Keep walking in the promise. Keep doing what I called you to do. Keep going where I called you to go. Keep trusting me. Keep following me. Keep following me. Keep following me. And as you're following God, you don't always know how it's going to make sense or if it's going to make sense or if it's going to work out. But if you just keep following him, the text will tell you that God will move from in front of you to behind you and he will actually be a rear guard behind you protecting you from the problems that previously were threatening you but you have to go forward go forward don't stop don't allow the weight and the pressure to, to, to get you to to sink down and sit down and do nothing no go forward keep living keep dreaming keep claiming the promise of God keep believing that God is able you know it, it might not make sense and you don't know how he's gonna allow the 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 rags and the, and the and the randomness of your life to come together to make any type of sense but that's what our God does he specializes in taking the foolish things of this world and making a beautiful masterpiece out of something so foolish something so painful, something so, so irrelevant. He takes it and he weaves it together into a beautiful picture if you just keep going forward. So my prayer for you is that you don't look at your enemy. Don't look at your enemy coming. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Claim the promise that God has given you and keep going forward. If you want to walk with me forward, would you just stand with me in this place? If you want to say, you know what, I got some problems. We all got some problems. I sure enough got some problems and sometimes the weight of the problem seems too much to bear, but I am just going to keep going forward and I'm going to trust that God has a way of reconciling and working it out, that those who are coming for me aren't going to destroy me. I, I, I'm going to trust that as I walk like David walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil 
For God, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they are comforting me. God, I'm just going to trust that as I'm following the leader, as I'm walking behind you, God, that you will perfect that which concerns me. God, I'm going to trust that since you started, you're the one who brought me out of this mess, that you will bring me into whatever it is you destined my life to be. God, I'm going to trust that when it doesn't make sense to me and it might not make sense to anyone else, you have it all worked out in your glorious divine mind. And that my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. And that if I can just continue to take one step every day and another step the next day and I might feel like I'm stumbling back, but I'm going to get back up and I'm going to keep walking forward that God, you will work it all out. I'm going to trust that no matter what this road may go, how high or low, that if I'm going through a problem, in this moment, God, you saw it, you allowed it, and you have purpose for it. And while I don't necessarily understand the purpose and I would wrestle with you on whether it was something that should have happened in the begin with I'm going to trust God that you see things differently than I see things and that you're going to allow this problem that I think is designed to crush me and to destroy me you will leverage this problem to bring about my good. So I will follow the leader. 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 Say it with me. I will follow the leader. I will follow the leader. Doesn't make sense. I'm gonna keep following. It doesn't 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 add up, but I will keep following. I will wake up early and I will seek you. I will follow the leader all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so, Lord, we surrender. We surrender our pain. We surrender our disappointments. We surrender our frustrations. We surrender our insecurities, our anxieties, our questions. We surrender to you, God, and we embrace your peace. We embrace your confidence. God, we embrace your providence for us. In this moment, just take a moment of silent prayer, whatever is on your heart. Whatever problem you've wrestled with and battled, whatever weight you feel on your chest, on your shoulders. Just give it to God.
Father. You are able. You are able. There is nothing too hard for you. No matter the difficulty, no matter the challenge, no matter the problem, you are able. And so we just thank you. We worship you. We surrender.